Listener supported. WNYC Studios. April 30th, 2018. It's a small gathering in a private dining room in the Trump International Hotel in Washington. Some people may not want their pictures taken. It's a collection of mostly wealthy, well-connected people. They've pledged financial support for a group that's promoting Trump's re-election. People take their seats. Drinks are poured. Dinner is served. The phone that's recording all of this must be pretty close to the president. Trump talks about what he wants to talk about. Golf. Politics. The intersection of golf and politics. You know that Kim Jong-un is a great golfer. You know that, right? And a lot of the guests here want things from the president. One guy who says he's in the steel business is talking steel tariffs. Another guy wants a new highway for his self-driving vehicles. Someone else suggests holding a summit with North Korea in this brand new city in South Korea that they have a stake in. A lot of the people at this dinner are regulars at this kind of event established business executives who give big to politicians and political causes. But two of the guests are basically newcomers, Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas. We're in the process of purchasing an energy company in Ukraine right now that should help cut off Russia's... Parnas and Fruman. Yeah, those guys. They're two entrepreneurs who say they're purchasing an energy company in Ukraine. Fruman is mostly quiet, Parnas is the chatty one. You can hear him over and over again laughing at every joke the president makes. How's Ukraine doing? Don't ask. <laughs> they they love you though. I yeah, can tell you that much. They love you. Great. Great. I tell you they're great, great fighters. Great fighters. They Both men are Americans who were born in the Soviet Union. They still do business in that part of the world. They're telling the president about a deal they're working in Ukraine. Because all the pipeline goes through Ukraine, so Ukraine has oil. A lot. Of course. Number one in Europe. Yeah, Yeah, we could. Ukraine? Yes. How come they they, they don't really much? They don't have any money. Exactly. Ukraine has oil? How come they don't have any money? Trump's genuine surprise is just part of this bigger, mind-bending moment. Here is the president of the United States on his best behavior, taking suggestions from people who've made political donations in order to share his table. And even though the committee that's hosting the dinner is legally barred from coordinating with the Trump campaign, here's the candidate. And he owns the hotel, so he's profiting personally. Having captured Trump's attention, Parnas seizes the moment to ask for something he wants. The biggest problem there, I think, where we, where we need to start is we got to get rid of the ambassador. It's, she's still left over from the Clinton administration. Where the ambassador, where Ukraine? Yeah, and she's basically... They're talking about Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, a career diplomat who joined the State Department under Reagan. This is the earliest record we have of the campaign to remove her. It's so early, no one remembers her name. Uh, I don't remember the name. Don't remember but back. <laughs> Just like that, Without learning her name, Trump makes a decision. Get rid of her. Get her out tomorrow. I don't care. Get her out tomorrow. Take her out. Okay? Excellent. Do it. 
Get her out tomorrow. Take her out. Do it. In the course of this one dinner, Parnas and Fruman had an enormous influence on the president, sending him down a path that would eventually lead to his impeachment. And all it took to get in the door was a pledge to donate. They hadn't even sent the money yet. Hello and welcome to Trump, Inc., an open investigation from ProPublica and WNYC into the business of Trump. I'm Ilya Meritz. As we're recording this show, the U.S. Senate is preparing to acquit the president, having called no witnesses in an impeachment inquiry into abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, a case that began with President Trump's interactions with Ukraine. We're going to look carefully at one thing the Ukraine affair clearly shows— the guardrails have come off political giving in Trump's America. We got to see it because of this series of incredibly unlikely events. At the center of it, Parnas and Fruman, bit players who wandered onto center stage. The only reason that we know about Parnas and Fruman is that they weren't sophisticated donors. They wrote big checks, concealed the real source of the money, and got access to the president and the people around him. They also, according to federal prosecutors, were acting on behalf of one or more Ukrainian politicians, secretly. Parnas and Fruman now face criminal charges for, among other things, allegedly funneling foreign money into U.S. politics and for trying to hide it. They've pleaded not guilty. This case wasn't first brought to light by prosecutors, or the federal agency that was set up specifically to catch money in politics violations. It was independent watchdogs. At that early stage, we had no real idea what this was going to lead to. Ukraine, a pressure campaign, impeachment, all enabled by a system that is increasingly ripe for abuse by the rich. And when they give, they give in large amounts. And whether the super PACs disclose their names or they're giving through some shell corporation, the American people may or may not know who they are. But I can guarantee you the candidates know who is putting that money into the system in order to advance their interests. Since the 1970s, U.S. law has required campaigns and political groups to carefully account for the money they raise and the money they spend, from printer paper to polling to private planes. It's an enormous amount of data. In 2018, there were more than 140 million separate transactions. Yet only a small number of people make it their business to sift through those filings looking for evidence of wrongdoing, like this guy. I'm Brendan Fisher, the director of the Federal Reform Program at the Campaign Legal Center. What is the CLC? Uh, Campaign Legal Center is an organization founded about 16 years ago by Trevor Potter, a former Republican chair of the Federal Election Commission. And we work across all areas of democracy reform, campaign finance, voting rights, ethics, redistricting. Fisher is a lawyer but he could be mistaken for a mixologist with impressive hair, a fashiony blazer, and a pocket square. Almost exactly 10 years ago, the Campaign Legal Center's work became vastly more complex. 
A Supreme Court decision you may have heard of, known as Citizens United, said for the first time that corporations could spend unlimited sums of money to influence elections. It was like a hard reset on the system. The volume of money in politics surged. A lot of that money went into committees called super PACs. Unlike campaigns, there's no limit on the size of donations they can take. The only checks on super PACs are they're not allowed to coordinate with campaigns and candidates, and they're required to disclose their donors. Fisher's job, in part, is to track super PAC cash. One day in the summer of 2018, something caught his attention. Lachlan Marquet at the Daily Beast newsletter flagged this mysterious donation. It was to America First Action, a political group supporting Trump for president, for $325,000. And it came from an entity with a big-sounding name, Global Energy Producers. The newsletter said there's no information whatsoever about this group. I mean, when was this corporation formed? If anybody has any more information, then let us know. Fisher's view is that secret political giving is inherently bad for democracy. Because people should know who's trying to influence elections. This particular donation from global energy producers was big enough to get noticed. It was 6.5% of America First Action's total receipts that quarter. But at first glance, that was all Fisher knew. Is there any evidence that this LLC could have generated the sort of income necessary to cover this six-figure donation? So I flagged it for Maggie and said, what can, you know, can we figure anything out about this group? And then she took it from there. The first thing I did was check the corporate records, and it had formed in Delaware just about five weeks before it showed up on the, the Super PAC report, and that was an immediate red flag. That's Maggie Christ. I'm the campaign finance researcher at the Campaign Legal Center. And Chris noticed that global energy producers had recently posted an item online looking for a website designer. It didn't sound at all like an established business. She kept digging. Global energy producers had a corporate registration in Delaware that didn't lead anywhere. But helpfully for us, on the Super PAC report itself, there was a different address, a residential address in Florida which led her to Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. At the time, two complete unknowns. Fruman and Parnas at that point had basically no public footprints. We couldn't find a single mention of them in any U.S. news sources. Eventually, as we started pulling at a few more threads, we did find some Russian-language news coverage in Ukraine from that year where they had been bragging about their connections to President Trump and had been showing some pictures that they had snapped with him at some fundraising. That's hardcore. You were just browsing some Russian-language <laughs> publications in Ukraine? <laughs> well, it involves some uses of Google Translate and uh, some creative uses of, of that. Um, but yes, it's not the typical uh, sources I would immediately go to. One Russian-language article describes Fruman as a, quote, channel of direct communication between the Jewish community of Kiev and the president of the United States. It goes on to detail the donor dinner at the Trump Hotel, the one where Parnas said Ambassador Yovanovitch had been speaking ill of Trump. The article also includes a photo of Fruman with Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Fruman is making a thumbs up. 
you know, it's exceedingly rare that you can find little information about a big donation in U.S. press, but you find a lot of information about the donation and the donors behind it in Russian-language Ukrainian press. Fisher saw this as worrying. The Campaign Legal Center filed a complaint alleging that global energy producers was making a political donation on someone else's behalf. Global Energy Producers LLC was being used to facilitate a straw donation, that GEP was not the true source of the funds, that Parnas, Fruman, or some other source uh, actually provided the money that went to America First Action. Um, And we filed a complaint alleging that, and it later turned out that we were right. Following the Citizens United decision, watchdog groups like the Campaign Legal Center started noticing hard-to-trace LLCs giving money to political groups. They saw this in 2012, in 2014, in 2016. They wrote to the Federal Election Commission, demanding action. And the FEC sat on those complaints for years, eventually dismissed them, but said that moving forward, when there is evidence that a LLC was created for the purpose of hiding the identity of the donor, uh, then it would enforce the law. So when we saw global energy producers show up on the America First Action campaign finance report, it seemed to fit that profile. So here was a test case for that new doctrine. Large political donation, check. Anonymous shell corporation, check. Donors with mysterious motives, check. Then it got weirder. CLC heard from a lawyer representing a family that invested in a film with the working title Anatomy of an Assassin. The movie was never made. The family sued the guy who got them involved. His name? Lev Parnas. That lawyer then was able to uh, subpoena bank records and wire transfer records and made some of those records public in his Florida case, which we looked at. And they saw something they did not expect. The big donation from global energy producers did not come from global energy producers. A different LLC, controlled by Parnas and his wife, wired the money. And then, Fisher says, For whatever reason, the super PAC agreed to falsely attribute the donation to global energy producers, despite the fact that it knew that the money actually came from some other source. I should note, America First Action was not charged alongside Parnas and Fruman, the group did not respond to our questions about the donation. If this feels confusing, well, confusion can be helpful if you're trying to hide something about a big donation. A few months after the gift to America First Action, After that April 2018 dinner at the Trump Hotel, the disinformation campaign in Ukraine really got rolling. By August, Parnas and Rudy Giuliani had linked up. By the start of the following year, 2019, they were having conversations with corrupt Ukrainian prosecutors. That spring, Parnas and Fruman's names started to appear in the American news. Parnas kept up ties with the America First Action Super PAC. He exchanged WhatsApp messages with America First Action's finance director, Joseph Ahern. Parnas sent an interview with one of the prosecutors to Ahern and wrote, Have Junior retweet it. Sent, Ahern replied. 
We know this, by the way, because Parnas has been releasing evidence gathered by prosecutors for his upcoming trial, including the audio you heard at the beginning of this story. Then, in October, Parnas and Fruman were arrested at Dulles Airport, carrying one-way tickets to Vienna. They were charged with four counts in federal court in the Southern District of New York. According to the indictment, the defendants attended fundraising events, quote, with the purpose of enhancing their influence in political circles and gaining access to politicians. By itself, that's not illegal. Their alleged crime was disguising their identities. Quote, in order to conceal from third parties, including creditors, their source of funding and capital, Parnas and Fruman created a limited liability corporation, Global Energy Producers, and then intentionally caused certain large contributions to be reported in the name of GEP instead of in their own names. Parnas and Fruman again have pleaded not guilty. Their lawyers did not comment. The first count of the SDNY indictment is effectively our complaint, that the global energy producer's donation was a straw donation. How many times before in your career doing this kind of stuff has a, uh, have you filed a civil complaint that led to criminal charges? <laughs> um, I don't know that I can think of a time that it's happened before. This indictment points to a possible motive. Quote, Parnas's efforts to remove the ambassador were conducted, at least in part, at the request of one or more Ukrainian government officials. One more thing Fisher did not see coming, but it could tell us a lot when this goes to trial. Prosecutors say they can prove that Parnas and Fruman routed foreign money into the U.S. political system. The cash, they say, came from a Russian businessman who was backing a legal pot enterprise they wanted to start together in Nevada. And it went straight into two local campaigns. Uh, I don't think any of us had any inkling of that beforehand. No, that was, that was count four. And that was something we had not known about. Foreign money directly injected into an American election. At the most basic level, one is not allowed to solicit, accept, or receive any foreign money in connection with a U.S. election at the state, federal, or local level. Period. Period. Ellen Weintraub, a member of the Federal Election Commission. It's an independent regulator and law enforcement agency created after the Watergate scandal. Weintraub is from Queens, and she doesn't mince words. I am not a fan of the Citizens United decision. Before the decision, only real, identifiable human beings were allowed to fund political groups, and they could only give modest amounts. But Citizens United invited businesses into politics, allowing them to give unlimited amounts of money to super PACs. The high court said everything would be fine, because by law, super PACs are required to disclose their donors. The problem with that is that corporations can and have been a shield against disclosure. It can be through business corporations, but more typically in this context, uh, we see it happening through 501c4 organizations, nonprofit organizations, LLCs, uh, and other entities that are explicitly shell corporations. Um, so let's say I wanted to test this out and I set up Acme. LLC in my home state of New York, and I fund it with my own dollars from my paycheck from WNYC Radio, where I work, and I give to a political campaign or some kind of political organization, 
Is that legal? If you put that money in ACME for the specific purpose of moving it then to a campaign, I think everyone on the FEC would agree that that is illegal. Full disclosure, my employment contract strictly forbids this kind of thing. Regardless, Weintraub says it gets stickier if my hypothetical LLC is a real business with real business income. I would say that your name should still be on on the contribution. I'm not sure there would be unanimity on that question uh, on the FEC. I asked Weintraub what kind of obligations super PACs have to vet their own donors. Remember, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman were able to attend that dinner with the president at the hotel he owns after making a pledge to America First Action, a Trump-supporting super PAC. So, sticking with my hypothetical company, Acme LLC, if it gave to a group like America First Action... Would they have some obligation to, at the very least, Google and see if that's a real corporation with, like, real sources of income? If there's nothing on the face of the donation that raises suspicions, then probably not. If Acme LLC is, um, which we'll have to give them its address. If the address is in St. Petersburg, then they probably need to ask some more questions. St. Petersburg, Russia. Yes. Yes, not Florida. Okay. So actually that gives uh, campaigns and political groups pretty wide latitude to look the other way. Well, it depends on whether there's something to look the other way from. If there, as I said, if there's an indicia that there's something suspicious about this donation, and, and most big campaigns... But just being an LLC alone is, cannot, would not be considered an indication. I think it depends on the circumstances. We now know that America First Action made an incorrect filing in their disclosure forms about the source of Parnas and Fruman's donation, which is a subject of the Campaign Legal Center's complaint to the Federal Election Commission. Can you tell me anything about the status of that? No. Why not? (laughs) Because it is illegal for me to discuss any complaints that may be uh, before the agency. In its history, the FEC has never imposed a penalty for a shell corporation acting as a straw donor. Two years ago, the Federal Election Commission moved to a new space, an immaculate glass box near Union Station. Around 300 people work here, taking in filings, posting them for the public to read, doing investigations. This floor, the 12th floor, is for the commissioners, the people who actually decide matters, like the Parnas and Fruman complaint. It was a weekday afternoon, and it just felt weirdly empty. There were 10 or 13... The lights just went out? Yeah. The, if you, we're, we're, Do I need we're, to, like, wave my arm? Yeah, if we, if we move around, maybe it'll go on again. This is really ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm it's okay. It's funny. It, it, we're, we're sitting too quietly in here. Sorry. Where were we? They have timers to save electricity. The FEC is not running out of money. But still, it felt like a metaphor for something. Weintraub says the Federal Election Commission is in trouble. So we have had, in almost every split vote that we've had over the last 11 or 12 years, it has been Republican commissioners opposed to enforcing the law and Democratic commissioners 
voting in favor of enforcing the law, in favor of launching an investigation or uh, imposing a stronger penalty. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Democrat or Republican who is in the box. It used to be the FEC had a partisan split, which sounds worse than it was. To get anything done, either a Democratic commissioner or a Republican commissioner would have to vote with the other side. And often, they did. Then, about a dozen years ago, the split became ideological. Between those who believe campaign finance laws are essential to democracy and those who don't. With a deadlocked commission, penalties fell 90%. By the way, one of the Republican commissioners at this time was Don McGahn, who went on to become Trump's White House counsel. So Republicans have voted over and over again not to enforce the law, not to investigate, not to pursue allegations against Democrats. And Democratic commissioners have, on the other hand, voted to pursue them. So most recently, we had a case alleging a multi-million dollar coordination scheme between a super PAC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. And I voted to pursue the investigation, and the Republicans blocked it. And this has happened. This, this scenario has happened over and over and over again. That's remarkable. It is, kind of. Then things got worse. The Senate stopped confirming new FEC commissioners. The FEC is supposed to have six members. But by last summer, the number dropped to just three. So the FEC lost its quorum, the four-person minimum, required to approve investigations, issue new regulations, impose penalties, or even just publish guidance. Which would seem to leave the commission without much to actually do. So, like, you can't do your work as a commissioner because you don't have the quorum. So what's your day like? Well, actually, I'm incredibly busy. She's still reviewing documents. And in the absence of a functioning enforcement system... Weintraub has resorted to public speaking and Twitter. She responded over the summer after President Trump told ABC he'd accept dirt on his opponents from foreign powers. I don't, there's nothing wrong with listening. If somebody called from a country, Norway, we have information on your opponent. Oh, I think I'd want to hear it. You want that kind of interference in our elections? It's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. That day... Weintraub wrote a statement and posted it to Twitter. Quote, It is illegal for any person to solicit, accept, or receive anything of value from a foreign national in connection with a U.S. election. This is not a novel concept. That that was not addressed to anyone in particular, but uh, I read the newspapers like everybody else, and when it seems to me that there may be some confusion out there as to what the law is, then I, if I feel that I can play a productive role in helping to provide clarity on that, my ultimate goal is for everyone to follow the law. That's really what I'm concerned about. So if I see an area that is in the news and people seem to be debating what the limits of the law are or whether there is law, and I happen to know there is law, then I feel an obligation to put it out there and make sure that everybody knows what the law is. Obviously, you represent a particular view here, and there's two other commissioners. Are are either of them around? Uh, I'd like eventually to request an interview. Maybe you could make an introduction. You should feel free to reach out to my colleagues, and um, I would be... Um, 
happy if you could get them to grant an interview, but I, I don't really have any um, persuasive ability to get them to show up for an interview. So you ask them and see if they'll show up. <laughs> I see. So you knocking on the door and saying you should talk to this guy is not going to help. Not necessarily. We requested interviews with Chair Caroline Hunter and Vice Chair Stephen Walter. They did not respond. Is it possible that we will make it through the 2020 election cycle without a full FEC, a full or even a quorum at the FEC? It's possible. That's entirely out of my hands. I, I think that would be very unfortunate. Um, there have been... Um, bipartisan calls for the quorum to be restored here. We'll just have to wait and see. We'll be right back. We're back. And I'll tell you what, this whole super PAC, it's a scam deal, and it's, it is a horrible thing that's going on. Like tens of millions of dollars is being poured into these super PACs. In the case Early in his first campaign for president, Donald Trump pitched himself as a guy who was so rich, he didn't need other people's money. He derided his rivals for being tools of the super wealthy, controlled through super PACs that aren't supposed to coordinate with campaigns. Here's Trump on Morning Joe in 2015. Super PACs are a total scam, and we have disassociated ourselves from all of the super PACs. We, Mika, we had... Trump soon embraced super PACs anyway. It's all part of what has become essentially a permanent campaign. On the day of his swearing-in, he registered with the Federal Election Commission to run for a second term. Then, America First Action Super PAC got going, staffed with people from Trump's inner circle. So in 2018, when Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman decided they wanted to get close to Trump, they knew where to send the check. And in the meantime, the Federal Election Commission, the cop on this beat, was allowed to lose its quorum. How you been? While I was in D.C., I stopped by the office of someone who's been on the show before, Robert McGuire from Crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. He had also been thinking about the lessons of Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. In so many cases in the Trump era, you have this sort of immediate access, just very quick access from people who have never been on anyone's radar. And it often sort of corresponds with the president's personal financial interests. McGuire has a big red beard, and on the weekends, he likes to tweet homemade cat videos. He says Parnas and Fruman are simultaneously outliers and also totally typical. Parnas and Fruman are not the first people that we've seen sort of fit this mold of someone with deep foreign connections suddenly starts giving large amounts of political contributions and then shows up at exclusive events. So McGuire thought, what if we treat this as a pattern? Big, anonymous, first-time gifts. So what we started doing was seeing if we could find instances where a particular person had given an aggregate amount of more than, say, $50,000 
And that those contributions in that particular cycle were the first time that they had ever given money. Today, McGuire is working through this database of big new donors since 2016. You know, I'm seeing Secure America LLC, uh, Cathexis Holdings, uh, Delavico Group. Don McGill, Toyota of Katy, I guess that's a <laughs> Toyota dealership. Right, right. So some of it is, you know, self-explanatory. There are more than 700 individuals in the database and more than 800 businesses, giving big money all of a sudden, giving not only to Trump or Republican causes, but to Democrats too. We just said we want everything. We want a way to dive into this where we at least have a starting point. And how much money have they given in aggregate? Ah, that's a good question. Uh, let's see. It, it's, a, it's a big number. Big first-time individual and corporate donors have given more than $400 million since 2016. Crew is just beginning to dig in, but they've already found one donor who fits the pattern. He has apparent ties to Turkish dissidents and gave a quarter million dollars to the Republican National Committee. The donor's listed surname means anonymous in Turkish. When I left D.C., there was a big filing deadline coming up for super PACs and other political groups to report their year-end fundraising totals. So, hey, Robert. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Robert McGuire and I talked again. Pretty good. Uh... It's Monday. (laughs) McGuire told me America First Action brought in more than $10 million in the last six months of 2019. There were a lot of familiar names from the donor class and some new names, including one California man. So he gave $100,000 on December 2nd. I just Googled his name with the word Trump, and the first thing that came up were Facebook posts of his from 10 days after uh, he gave the contribution with him in the White House with uh, President Trump, with Vice President Pence, with Jared Kushner, with uh, HUD Secretary Ben Carson for the White House's holiday party. The latest filing also includes some donors that are hard-to-trace LLCs. It looks like there's about half a dozen new donors that are not human beings. They are LLCs giving, you know, in the range of $25,000 up to, you know, $145,000. And these are the kind of contributions that are going to get somebody noticed. So this is, in a way, sort of our first view of political giving as the campaign season is ramping up. Is there anything that you can say about just the amount of money coming in? Like, is this definitely going to be the most expensive election? I, here's what I would say. I, I will say that we are not in the same space we were in in 2016. If you remember, big Republican donors shied away from Donald Trump in a big way in 2016. And that is not happening now. They've come around. What I do know is that uh, we have a president who has no qualms about raising money from, from big donors and doesn't seem to sort of vet major donors in the way that Republican and Democratic candidates have done in the past. And so there's plenty of opportunity for the people who are getting access through these contributions to be 
the kind of people that could come back and bite him in the in the future in the way that we are now seeing Lev Parnas with these recordings. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants a steak? Doug, I, I don't no, want no, 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 no. I got presidential. You know what? <laughs> Campaign finance laws exist for a reason. The American people expect and deserve an election process that has not been corrupted by the influence of foreign interests, and the public has a right to know the true source of campaign contributions. This is FBI Assistant Director William F. Sweeney Jr. speaking on the day Parnas and Fruman were arrested. Laws make up the fabric of who we are as a nation. These allegations are not about some technicality, a civil violation, or an error on a form. This investigation is about corrupt behavior, deliberate law-breaking. Money in politics has been a thing for so long that lots of Americans are cynical about our system. But the case of Parnas and Fruman shows we're in a new era. There are so few controls today that it's perfectly legal for someone to give unlimited amounts of money, often in ways that are difficult to track. And illegal campaign donations are increasingly unlikely to be detected and prosecuted at all. That dinner at the Trump Hotel shows it's shockingly simple to buy the ear of the president, no matter who you are. Listeners, if this story got you interested in doing a little sleuthing yourself, we're releasing a reporting guide with tips for digging into campaign finance data. We've got a link to it in the show notes at trumpincpodcast.org. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Every two weeks, we'll send you the latest on our reporting, plus photos, documents, and other cool stuff. Lastly, a correction. An earlier version of this story incorrectly identified FEC Vice Chair Stephen Walter as a Republican. He's an independent. This episode was produced by Alice Wilder and Catherine Sullivan, with editing by Eric Umansky and Nick Varshaver. Jared Paul does our sound design and original scoring. Hannes Brown wrote our theme and additional music. Matt Collette is the executive producer of Trump, Inc. Emily Botin is the vice president for original programming at WNYC. And Stephen Engelberg is the editor-in-chief of ProPublica. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening. Have you thought about allowing banking in some of these uh, states that allow cannabis? From the banking to allow them to bank the money? Yeah, well, that cannabis, look, you're talking about marijuana, right?